Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. We are almost all the way through September, officially in the fall, and we'll be looking at Thanksgiving and the holidays before you know it. But before we get there, Lindsay joins me this week as we're back with another Q&A episode to tackle two questions from you guys. In the first part, we tackle an excellent question. I read about all of these supplements, teas, and things that are supposed to increase my metabolism. Do they work, or is there anything else that would? Slight spoiler alert here, and the answer to that is a big nope on the teas, uh, but we do cover four things that you can do that have an effect on your metabolism. None of them, surprisingly, are magic. <laughs> they all are pretty straightforward, but still, uh, I think things that people really aren't aware of, so hopefully you find some value in those. Second part, we tackle what proved to be a little bit of a tough question for me because it goes against my, um, you know, like I've adapted my own way of how I feel like nutrition works best, although you've always got to modify it to the person. This challenged that, and this is why I had Lindsay on because she's not afraid to ask these questions. But the question was, uh, and it wasn't from her, but um, she challenged me in my answers. The question is this, I know that you're a big fan of tracking, but what if I don't want to? Are there any lessons or tips that you've learned over the years that would help someone achieve their goal without the arduous, tra- without the arduous task of tracking? The answer isn't quite as straightforward as you may think, which is exactly what we talk about, but there are some things that I've learned over the years, both in working with people as well as my own goals, whether that's with training or with weight loss or really whatever it was, that I think will help people who have no interest in tracking. There's a lot of caveats in this one and hopefully a ton of things that um, you're able to take away and apply however you see fit. I will apologize in advance for the noise towards the end of the episode. Lindsay and I recorded this one evening after the kids were in bed. Uh, Well, they were supposed to be in bed. (laughs) And you'll hear one of our boys wakes up uh, towards the end with a few sobs and Lindsay had to leave. And anyway, it's, it's short, but it's still in there. So I apologize if that is distracting. As always, thanks for checking out the podcast. And we will leave you with some information at the end. So take a listen to that if you want some updates for what's coming in the future and if you have any questions that you want to send us. So without further ado, here is both of those topics this week. Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This is a Q&A episode and I am joined by the one and the only wife, Lindsay Camp. We're going to tackle a couple of Valley to Peak questions, but first, any new updates you want to give? Um, you know, we've got back into the swing of school and fall things and whatnot but what about you you've been a little busier lately it seems yeah valley to peak has been uh, busy i went to bozeman and did some stuff with the mountain tough guys uh, they were terrific really wonderful to work with really hospitable um, and so we have some cool stuff coming out with them in january I don't think anybody on here has ever actually met Steven, who kind of does all the behind the scenes stuff for Valley to Peak. But we have been building some um, some information sheets, uh, like some some self guides, just answering a lot of main questions that cover proteins and carbohydrates and timings. And so we're going to put those on the website soon that are basically just quick hitting facts on a number of topics. There's like eight that I get a ton of questions on. So I really wanted to be able to develop some sheets that people could download and look at and just get all of their questions answered in one place. 
we're kind of revamping some parts of the course. So that'll be up soon. So yeah, we've been super busy developing new stuff for people to have and are excited to get that out. So let's go into question number one. There's a question, but also a little bit of detail there to explain. Uh, the person asked, what can I do to increase my metabolism? I read about all of these supplements, teas, and things that are supposed to increase my metabolism. Do they work or is there anything that would? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question. So I think really looking at this in two parts. In one part, what's the story on the teas and all of the elixirs of like of, of proclamations saying that they'll boost your metabolism? What does that mean? Is it true? All that. Part two is, is there anything that we could do like let's let's well what do you call that whenever you give the answer first spoiler alert yeah little spoiler alert no the t's don't work <laughs> so is there anything that we can do to you know to really to really increase that i have a feeling you're going to chime in on some of this because you've heard a lot of things within your own circle so number one do the supplements and the teas actually increase your metabolism the answer to that is no but here's where that whole idea sort of stemmed from, let's call it 10 to 15 years ago, one of the first things where you started reading about this was with green tea, right? It was like, well, if you drink green tea during the day, it's going to increase your metabolism and that's going to lead to weight loss. When you read the actual studies themselves, what you find is, is it's like, okay, compared to a control, let's call it water or black tea, you may burn 1,525 calories per day drinking nothing but water, but you may burn 1,530 calories per day drinking green tea. So they can hypothetically say that increases your metabolism and would lead to weight loss. But here's like the, the principle behind that and the thing that you always have to remember when it comes to nutrition research studies, and this is like, this is where the supplement industry fails. They take that and run with it is, is the is the supposed benefit big enough to make a difference in my life? Like, is that going to mean the difference between me having success or not? And almost 99 times out of 100, you find that the answer to that is no. And so that's where this whole idea of all of these things, you know, increasing your metabolism sort of stemmed from. Will you first explain, though I'm sure I know, I want to be sure, what exactly is metabolism because sometimes, well, sometimes people say a lot of things. So I'll just let you start with that. That's a, that is a excellent question. So your metabolism is basically the rate at which you're using energy and energy could be interchanged with the word calories, right? So part of your metabolism is determined by your genetic. And so, yes, you could have an identical you, but with a different set of parents and burn way more calories at rest than someone else. But parts that are factored into metabolism include, and this is some of the stuff we'll dive into, how active you are or you're not, and whether you eat or you don't eat. But metabolism is essentially, at its core, in layman's terms, how much energy is your body needing based on you, period, plus your activity and your daily energy. Does that make sense? Is that a good answer? Okay. So that that's essentially what what metabolism is is there anything that you can do and this came from actually from a client within valley to peak because there are times where 
you'll see a lot of progress right out of the gate, whether that's in training, whether that's in increasing your weight, whether that's in um, trying to reduce your weight and lose body fat or whatever, you'll see a lot of progress. And then all of a sudden that progress will completely stop. You'll sort of hit this plateau and you start looking for ways to continue that, assuming the person hasn't reached the goal. And so a couple of those ways are, are within this. So first and foremost, moving during the day, making sure that you are getting up throughout the course of the day and doing something other than sitting in an office chair. We just did a podcast. It was uh, the two released prior to this one with um, a cardiologist who's a cardiologist here in town that I worked with at St. Al's, who is a staunch believer that sitting at your desk all day will kill you faster than anything else. So standing up and moving more. Now, I think like we always talk about on here, there's a difference between optimal and practical, right? And so everybody says, well, 10,000 steps is what you need to hit. 10,000 steps is an arbitrary number that we came up with. In reality, if you're only hitting 1,500 steps per day and you set a target for yourself of 3,000 and you're getting up for five minutes every hour during the workday, that's an increase in steps. You are accomplishing the goal and that will, movement will, increase your metabolism it will increase the amount of calories that you need at rest so does that mean that your metabolism changes like once your body adjusts to that and maybe plateaus or whatnot will you then need to move more like the other day i asked you this i said i feel like i'm you know i've been jogging the same distance and it's taking a little less time should i just keep doing that and you said well unless you increase distance or speed you might not see much change is that the same here where if you, you know, is there a certain amount of time that you should do that many steps or whatever your goal is before you'll have to increase it to keep your metabolism up? Yeah. And, and, and everything is going to be contingent on that person's goal, right? So we're, we're like restructuring a lot of, a lot of Valley to Peak and really trying to help sit people down and identify, look, there are only three things that most people want to accomplish when they focus on their nutrition. You cannot have all three at once. You have to pick and you have to structure that over the course of, you know, six months, a year, whatever, constantly changing between those based on whatever your goal is. So to your point, like, let's set up a scenario. Let's say that a person starts, they have tremendous progress right out of the gate. Their goal is fat loss. They're taking 3000 steps per day. Now, all of a sudden, everything stops. We have a decision to make. Do we want to reduce intake? Do we want to drop calories more? Do we want to increase activity by having you walk more or and this is a, again, a little bit of a, um, spoiler alert, but second part of that is increase the intensity of your movement. So maybe you can't do, you know, 3000, maybe all you have is 20 minutes, but now 20 minutes of walking isn't doing the trick. You need to increase intensity. Now you got to go to a jog. You are essentially trying to find ways to continue to make sure that you're moving the needle closer towards your goal, whatever that is. So if you hit a plateau, you can either a be satisfied with where you're at transition into a maintenance phase b increase the intensity or the duration of your activity so in your you know in your example yes walk more or c reduce how many calories are coming in what happens the most often is people say i do not want to eat any less than i already am then we have two options you can either A, be satisfied, congratulations on all the success you've had so far, let's go to maintenance and run a maintenance phase. Or B, the only other option that we've got is we have to move more. I think that this conversation, this topic gets incredibly tricky because 
you never want to project movement or exercise or activity as a way to just burn calories or you go burn off the cheesecake or the turkey from Thanksgiving or whatever. Like that's not necessarily the goal, but the reality is too, that it is a mathematical equation. And so if you, if you haven't reached the goal, then something has to change. You have to adjust something. Is, does that really affect those changes? Does that change your metabolism or is that just how you burn calories? Because you've said those three things for that's how you have weight loss. So is upping your metabolism, does that equal weight loss? I mean, I know it can, but those are the same three things you said to do if you want to lose weight. No, those are ways to burn calories. As a matter of fact, being in a deficit or continuing to eat less and less and less will lower your metabolism. So that is part two. If you want to increase your metabolism, you do need to eat. So if you get, if you work with someone and they say, okay, I've estimated your calorie need to accomplish your goal. And that is this number, right? And you think, well, boy, if that moves the needle where some is good, more has to be better. I'm going to go even lower. You are basically burying yourself because you're lowering your calories even more during the day. You're not expending any by by putting yourself in that deep of a deficit. So to your point, no, lowering your calories does not increase your metabolism, but, and this is, this is uh, the second part, or I'm sorry, one of the third things you can do, regularly engaging in some sort of a resistance training program, lifting weights in other words, will increase your metabolism. The more muscle mass you carry, the greater energy that's going to be used at rest. So that is a way to, yes, increase your metabolism. So if you, if you weigh a hundred and let's say a person weighs 200 pounds and when they first begin a training program, 80% of that is body fat, 20% is muscle. They begin lifting weights and now all of a sudden it's 40% of that is muscle. So only 60% of that is body fat. That same individual, even though their weight has not changed, is burning more calories at, at rest because there is a larger composition, there's a larger percentage made up of them that's muscle versus body fat, which will increase your metabolism at rest. Is that why people say, oh, muscle weighs more than fat? Is that, that seems tied to that misconception. That is a misconception, no. <laughs> that's not, I mean, that people saying that and it increasing your metabolism are two totally different things. When they say that, they are saying or trying to encourage someone, oh, the scale is not moving, but that doesn't mean your efforts aren't being rewarded. You are basically, like I always envision Indiana Jones and um, Raiders of the Lost Ark where he like quickly exchanges a gold skull for a bag of sand to prevent getting booby trapped. It, it doesn't work in the end, but it's almost like people are saying like you're, you're making this exchange and it doesn't exactly work like that. But if someone starts lifting, um, you will have a composition change. So we've basically covered three so far. One, just moving more during the day, making sure you're not sitting. Two, increasing the intensity of that movement can also help. And in reality, I guess that's kind of a, 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 a sidetrack. We don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but increasing the intensity of activity will continue to increase your metabolism long after you stop the activity. Mm -hmm. So if you walk, you're burning, you know, you're, you're increasing your metabolism some while you're walking, but then once you stop, it's done. 
if you increase the intensity of an activity that can continue far after that, cause your body's still recovering, which also requires energy, which increases your metabolism. And then third, the third one that we've covered is, um, lifting weights, just because again, the more muscle mass, the, the, the greater the percentage of you that is muscle versus body fat, the higher the metabolic rate, the higher the metabolism is going to be for that person. Number four, and we kind of already talked about this a little bit is you got to eat deficits are a absolute terrorist against your metabolism which is exactly why like i sort of glossed over this a minute ago why we have a maintenance phase there is a recovery period that comes after a deep deficit where we bring your calories back up because of this if we try to leave you in a deficit for too long of a period it will catch up with you and make long-term management really hard. And so you have people out there who have achieved some weight loss and they've done it by eating 1200 calories and they are just spent every day and can't understand why they can't maintain that. And it's because there was no recovery phase ran. I think one of the greatest examples of this, and you'll appreciate this because you loved the show was the biggest loser. Mm-hmm. We've it's been around so long now the show has been around so long now that we get to study participants who were in it years ago and what we find is they lost the weight they didn't keep it off they had gained some back but the amount of their metabolism after that weight loss is dramatically slower than we would have ever estimated and that was because of the way they went about trying to lose it they never came out of that deficit they basically got on the show <clears throat> tried to remain and continue those habits everybody's got a life so you can no longer work out nine hours a day and only eat 900 calories and so the weight comes back on and their metabolism suffers as a consequence for it so the eating piece of that equation is um is also really important is there truth to maybe this is men and women but i hear it mostly from women saying things like oh well she's thin because she has high metabolism or you can eat that and it won't ever show because you have high metabolism i think people when that comment has been made it's usually a fairly quote unquote thin person is eating junk food and they're still thin is there anything to that or is it just do they happen to have the genetics that make them have a high metabolism yes there is something to that i mean your genetics will play a role in that like we've even studied twins and sometimes twins have different metabolic rates even though they're twins right so there is some truth to that however and these are two gigantic caveats number one You have no idea what that person does the rest of the day. So maybe you see them eat a slice of cheesecake at your mom's group every other week, but you don't know that they eat pretty low calorie foods or rarely eat or never get coffees or never have whatever their rules are for themselves the rest of the time. So you have no idea what that looks like. Their energy intake could be extremely low outside of these events that they're at. That's important thing to think about. The second thing, and I think this is the biggest takeaway, and this is true of me and our genetic family, even if you get dealt a bad genetic hand, you are not screwed. (laughs) There are so many things that you can do to, like that's, I hope this isn't too harsh, but that is not an excuse. If, If you have poor genetics and you have a very slow metabolism, there are things that you can do to still manage that long term. I mean, our family is 
I think that that's true of a lot of our family is it's not like, um, I just think that's true of a lot of our family. <laughs> um, but daily choice, which is extremely hard, like we talk about all the time, simple does not mean easy. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, but it is simple in the sense of daily choice and habits will always, always, always override a bad genetic hand. And I think that that is hopefully encouraging to say, look, I'm not left stuck being like this if I don't want to be. But it is, it can be tough. All right, let's go to number two. Oh, I have some questions on this one. All right, our next question is, I know you're a proponent of tracking nutrition intake when someone has a specific goal. What if I don't like or want to track? Are there a few things you would change or things you learn in your own fat loss and training that you would advocate for? Oh boy, I got a feeling you're gonna like expose me here. This is a fabulous question. And I would say first and foremost, I am a proponent of tracking um, when someone has a very specific goal because there is no faster way to move to that goal than with accurate intake. I mean, we could, we could sit here all night and talk about how you changed the quality of your diet and you improved this and you eat more fruits and you eat more vegetables. But the reality is, is if you're not making strides towards that goal, it's because of an intake end of the equation and, and the tracking solves that in a very fast manner. In fact, I would like, I would say I can, pr I can probably figure out every issue if I can see somebody's food record. With that said, let's say maybe you don't have a specific goal. You're just trying to change behavior. You would be satisfied with anything, right? I, this is partially coming from my own experience and getting this question and reflecting back and thinking, okay, what did I, what was the biggest changes that I made on a, a day-to-day -day basis? And these aren't necessarily in order. I would say though, the very first thing is I learned to cook for myself. And I stopped relying on either, you know, a ton of packaged food or going out to restaurants a lot or, you know, whatever. I, I learned how to actually cook for myself. And that first and foremost, it did help me detail down. Like I, I started at the same time. I it was, that was the same year that I began training with any sort of actual like intention. And so if I needed more protein, I knew how to cook to get that. If I didn't have enough energy and I needed more, I knew how to cook to get that. I knew how to, you know, that, that was a, that was a huge thing for me. Second is when you cook at home, it is a lot less calorie dense. I mean, you really get a lot more nutrition in when you learn to cook for yourself. And I think that, I think that had I not learned to do that, it would have, I don't think it would have been had a dramatic change in the trajectory of my life and my overall ability to manage it long-term. So I think that, that that was probably and is probably first and foremost one of the main things. The second thing, and again, question was, are there a few things you would change or um, things that you would advocate for? One would be to simply eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. That would be number two, even if you're not tracking, following those rules and, you know, basically just only committing to eating when you're hungry and then stopping when you're full, I think are huge. However, I would also argue that I didn't know what full or hungry felt like until 
I started tracking, right. Until I started getting, setting up some rules for myself and, and until I, you know, like, so I would go about my day. No, I'm not really hungry. No, I'm not really hungry. And then you would feel it and you would know the difference. You could recognize it. And I think that that is um, a huge thing too. If like, if someone doesn't want to track, commit to only eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. I had asked you that the other day though, or I don't know, maybe a few months ago, I had said something about, you know, I feel, I, I saw how much I'd eaten and it wasn't really calorie dense, but there was a lot of food. I'm just knowing us, it was probably a plate of a potato that had maybe a little bit of margarine and lemon pepper, and then a whole bunch of grilled chicken with some sort of, you know, sugar-free sauce on the side and a bunch of broccoli. And that, was had no oil <laughs> you can see i'm really eager about what we had anyway i eat all of this food and i'm and i said oh, i feel like i'm still hungry but there and i said but there's no way i could be after eating all of that and he said, well you you might still be or with that specific meal i'll be hungry or at least what i assume is hungry quicker than i would be if i ate something different um and i remember asking well how do i how do I know if I'm full? How do you know what that is? And I think you said something to the effect of when you imagine not eating anymore right now, do you, th what did you say? Like, do you think you're going to be hungry? Or when you picture eating maybe just a few bites more, do you feel satisfied for the time being? So is there something you could say to people to know what that feels like? Or maybe a question they could ask themselves to know that they're getting close, maybe? Yeah, that's a question that people actually ask a lot. And I, to me, it's it's this, if if by continuing to eat, you feel like you're not going to feel good, then it's time to stop. Now, the question then would be like, well, what happens if I'm hungry two hours later? Or what happens if I'm hungry an hour and a half later? Well, then you eat, right? And there's a lot of factors going in in here. Now, I will say this, like if someone, get, if someone hears this and they're like, man, I just love that. I don't want to track it, but that just sounds so simple to me. Give yourself the grace and the flexibility and the time to learn what those feel like. There'll be times you screw it up. Maybe there'll be times that you don't, there'll be times that you wait too long and you're starving. Like it's going to take some time to learn that habit change is hard. And that's why it's hard. You don't just get it overnight. The, the, the piece that you're talking about is if you eat a lot of food volume, but there's not many calories in there, your belly may be full, but you may not be satiated. You may not be satisfied. You may be hungry in an hour. You may be hungry in an hour and a half. And if you are, that's okay, right? You could readjust. But I think a part of that, let me, let me say this. Th this was number three that I wrote down. And I think that this helps you learn, this provides structure so that you can learn what those things feel like, hunger and, 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 and fullness. Because I will tell you, I had absolutely no idea what that felt like when I weighed 270. No idea. Couldn't tell you. I set up a eating schedule. Now that sounds extremely rigid. Don't turn this off yet. At least listen to this. It's not like a rigid structure where you're eating at 7.30 a.m. on the dot. You're canceling all meetings. So if you don't eat, then, you know, there's some sort of a turmoil. You're, you're, you're saying, look, I'm going to have a breakfast. I'm going to have a lunch. I'm going to have a dinner. I'm not going to have anything outside of that. I'm not going to be nibbling in the candy jar around Halloween. I'm not going to grab a bite here, bite there, eat something off the kid's plate or take a swig of milk or go grab a latte or whatever. You're having three structured meals. What taught me the difference between hunger and fullness was this. If I ate breakfast and three hours passed and I was hungry, but I knew I wasn't going to have lunch until noon, 
I started to learn what that felt like, right? Like I started to learn, okay, you're hungry, but you're eating in an hour, just wait. Well, then the hunger would grow a little bit more. So I could identify, are you, do you just want a slice of pizza because it tastes good or are you actually hungry? And, and that was one of the things that really started to help me understand what that looked like. Now, there's been, there is this huge um, push in the dietitian world where like people would hate what I'm trying to say, but I also don't think that those dietitians specifically understand what it's like to be overweight, right? Or what it's like to not be able to put on weight or not be able to hit your training goals. So yes, it, sometimes you do need to set up some structure that seems really rigid for a period of time, not forever, so that you can learn what those things feel like and be able to be successful long-term. I think that's a good way to differentiate. I, you know, people will ask, oh, well, you know, what does your husband do? Or, you know, he's a proponent. There's been a few that, well, he's a proponent of tracking calories, right? And it's asked in a certain way that's like, I'm going to ask it like I'm interested, but really I think it's a crap idea, <laughs> it seems to be. Um, and I, I've heard you say this multiple times to clients as you, you know, as they're onboarding or as they're seeing if this program would work for them, over and over and over you've said this really specific daily ongoing tracking is for a time. It's the only way to know exactly what's going in so we can come up with a plan that works for you, you know, that sort of thing, which I think some people think, gosh, you're giving these people an eating disorder. I think that's a lot of it, right? And for some people tracking like that isn't healthy. I mean, you've had clients like that too that said, you know, for my own mental health or, you know, maybe a past of just difficulty with nutrition, they've said, I can't do this. And you've been very flexible to say, well, what if we set up these goals? Like I think one was, you know, including a fat, protein, and carbon every meal, just making sure they're all there. Don't measure it, make sure they're all there. So I think there's a lot of other options for people, which I think is what this person is getting at. Um, and I've even said, you know, when you come in like frustrated, at times like, oh, why can't people, I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this. <laughs> you said you have to measure it and they say they measure it and all of that. And I've, I've said I multiple times, I said, your program would not work for me if I had nutrition goals. It just wouldn't. I don't, I am very regimented and I'm very routine, but I do not want to figure out numbers. I don't like, I like math. I don't like doing it in my head and trying to measure. I just want to enjoy eating and I don't want it to be a chore. Um, but with that, I had health goals in the past. Um, and it was what was helpful for me, at least, that you did, as you said. And after I asked multiple times, mind you all, um, I had to pretty much beg for this because Kyle was told early on to never give his family advice about nutrition. So after asking multiple times, you said things like, for me, it was, I really like milkshakes. He'd say, have one a week, have the small one once a week, like give yourself that reward. Or... I really like macaroni and cheese and I would have only that, a huge bowl of only that. Um, you said eat the mac and cheese as often as you want, but make it this portion of your plate. You also like salad, make that this portion of your plate. So I'm sure some of these are pretty specific to the person, but I, I could see myself asking this question and seeing how possible it is because of things that we've done here at home. Yes. So there have been many times over the years that I've done this where people share their history and I say, look, it tracking is effective, but I 
we will not go there with you because I think it's just going to perpetuate or cause or stir up a bad habit. You use the example of eating disorders, and that is 100% true. If a person has a history of that, the last thing they on the planet they should do is become obsessive. The last thing anybody should do is become obsessive about this, but the last thing on the planet that they should do is, is start tracking because of the obsession that it could create. There are definitely, and this person's question inserts the caveat, what if you don't have a specific goal? There are definitely outlets you can take to change your habits, to change your nutrition, and it can be highly effective. But I would also, to to the goal piece of things, argue that nothing feels worse than trying and not seeing any progress and you feeling like you're doing it all the right, all, all everything right. And again, the intensity of the tracking, if you do have a specific goal is for a short period of time for that goal. And then we, in fact, the maintenance phase of the program is twofold. One, we bring up your calories for everything that we talked about in the first episode. Um, and then number two is we talk about how do you transition away from the meticulous tracking into something that's more intuitive, into something that, you know, you've, you've taken all of these habits and you've changed them. How do you do this without the reliance on the tools? We, uh, we did a podcast not long ago and did a, a reel on Instagram about it as well, where we said maintenance is not the reverse and, and going back to old habits. Maintenance in reality is trying to continue those habits without the reliance of the tools of tracking and measuring and doing all of that. But you're 100% right, and I'm not naive to it. I, tracking is not for everyone. There are ways that we can approach nutrition, um, t- changing nutrition, without having to track. Um, and it, it can be effective. Like I'll never forget at the hospital. I think I'd shared this story with you without sharing the person's name. He was a trucker. Um, he ate out all the time on the road. And the only parameter I set for him was to eat half. So I don't care what you order. I don't care if you order ribs, steak, shrimp, and eat 10 biscuits. I don't care. Just eat half of what you normally would eat. And let's see what happens. Lo and behold, he began to lose weight. He didn't track anything. He didn't measure anything. He didn't stop eating burgers. He didn't stop eating fries. He didn't stop drinking beer. He continued his life, but he cut it in half. So yeah, there are a number of ways outside of tracking. For me, as I look back again, like just to just to reflect on the question, the three most effective things was I learned to cook. I began making sure that I had protein at meals because it helped me feel full longer, right? So you talk about that satiating thing. And then number three, I I ate when I was hungry and stopped when I was full. I had some sort of a rhythm. I wasn't one of the biggest, I look back and think like I've reflected on this all often. What contributed to me getting to 270? I just ate all the time. Like it didn't, it didn't matter if I was hungry. If it was like, it was like, if it sounded good, it was going down. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, I have no question that that's one of the things that contributed to that. So just having some structure and trying to pay attention to when I'm hungry and when I'm full helped a ton before I even tracked. I think something else that's come to mind is we've kind of talked about this and you talked about habits and people that want to be a little more stringent or whatnot. Um, and those who want to be less tied to numbers is I, I don't relate to the number side of things. Like I said, it's just not something that I like. I don't mind having rules for myself and I'd be one that would rather like just not have chips in the house and not have these foods I shouldn't overeat in the house or, you know, more of a rule follower um, when it comes to things like that with nutrition. But something that I know came up for us and I'm sure with many of the clients you work with, I mean, sometimes, you know, we'll have 
couples that will join together, a father, son that might, they might both sign up. But I think it's difficult if this is not something either weight loss or just improving nutrition, if it's not something that you connect with or feel a need for or struggle with to relate and understand why people do that. Like I've know there's been people um, in our social circle or our family that have said, well, Kyle's counting that. Does Kyle not eat that? Or they'll say that they'll see that you calculate the calories in something or maybe eat less at a function. And um, I've had a friend that recently lost a ton of weight following a very routine schedule. And she had talked about the difficulty with her sister not getting it. Like, just eat that. Or like, why do you have to track it again? So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is my little soapbox or what, but I just remember having some tension early on when we met, not understanding why you seemed so driven by these things when to me it was like oh just make make some different choices or like why does it need to be so you know you've done this for years like why are you still doing this one of the things that you said you said no one criticizes someone who struggled with alcoholism for not going to a bar no one questions that someone that wants to stop smoking no one questions them or makes fun of them for saying hey, I can't be around that right now, or that's something that triggers me, or I need to get out and walk right now instead. But this is an area for whatever reason that people have a tough time accepting when others don't just go with the flow. Yeah, to your to your point, um, I remember, you know, specifically people <laughs> commenting on it and me just feeling like, man, you you were all concerned about me when I was heavy and, you know, then I started to lose weight and you had your opinions on that. And, um, I think that it can even be true of, of like, you know, we're talking about it in the context of fat loss, but there are athletes or people trying to gain weight or people who track trying to hit a specific metric in training, you know, where they're running, uh, training for an ultra running a hundred miles a week. If you don't eat enough, you will tank, you will not be able to press on. So that again is where the, um, where the tracking is valid. And it, it is, I mean, it is, it is a tough dynamic. Like uh, we, I did a podcast not long ago with a sobriety group and this topic came up, but one of, I think one of the most interesting things that we see, and I talked about it in the context of people who have weight loss surgery, but we see this in the context of anyone who has a dramatic weight loss. In fact, this was even my story it worked out good for me because I met you, but it has a, can have a negative impact on people's relationships, specifically their marriages. We saw a lot of people leave their partners after weight loss surgery, after they had a profound weight loss. And a lot of that is is because, I mean, there's a number of factors. Sometimes, not always, there was a jealous component. You know, their partner wanted to lose weight. They couldn't lose weight. Here's this person, this man or woman who'd lost 100 pounds. So there's like a component of jealousy to it. The things you used to do together, go out for nightcaps and cheesecake at 11, like that no longer is happening. You're not getting popcorn at the movies anymore or less popcorn at the movies. Social habits change. All of these things change and it affects it affects things. Like I don't know the the how to solve that. I I guess I should ask you, I mean, because when we first met, um, I was an intern 
and still really wrapped up in a lot of my, uh, honestly, some of my own misunderstandings of nutrition back then. You dealt with it gracefully, but like, what was the hard part about that? A lot of people, most everyone in our life thought that you ate the way you did or didn't eat or had your specific nutrition habits because you were a dietitian, And so they naturally would criticize and, oh, the dietitian, don't let them see what you're eating. Myself, maybe myself included, I don't know, not ever realizing no, this was because you had had weight loss and everything emotionally, physically, I mean, everything associated with that is why you found comfort in tracking what you ate and eating a very specific way. Um, something that I would say, unless you had ever had significant weight loss, you could not connect to or an addiction. I mean, you've mentioned it as food addiction, something that you, someone who hasn't dealt with that cannot, I'm realizing now, cannot understand that, cannot relate to it and say, oh, just eat this or just eat less. It's not, just not possible. Uh, when we first got married, I feel like it affected me a lot. I, back then, I think, oh, we didn't have kids. We got invited out to do stuff. <laughs> so... Um, it was really hard for me, really hard when people, as they do, would invite us over for dinner. And I think, well, it has to be at a certain time or it has to be, hopefully they have this or we always bring the salad or whatever. And just realizing honestly that I was embarrassed that maybe you wouldn't eat if we went out. The idea that we would go together or I'd say, oh, let's go get a milkshake. There's great little milk, you know, the like greasy diners around here. And I think, oh, let's go get a milkshake together. And you said, I don't want one. And I was upset because that was something we, like you said about that couple, we want, I wanted to do that together. And it's not fun when someone orders a water and you get, you know, a peanut butter shake. So it was tricky. Um, I think when you said the thing about, you know, people gave me a ton of crap for being overweight and criticize what you ate and then you lose it. That's a really good point. And then the day that you said, no one questions someone who struggled with alcoholism with not wanting to go to a bar. You wouldn't invite them. You wouldn't ever ask them why they didn't want to drink something. You would just let it go. And that hit me a little bit harder. Um, and when I just realized not to own your decisions, that's your own nutrition choices. Like <laughs> I, I can eat what I want as much as people think and ask me, did your husband let you eat that? First of all, I don't know anyone's husband who let them or not let them eat anything and would stick around. But um, yeah, I think I just had to get over it. I had to get over that we would eat the exact same amount or that you would want to have milkshakes as much as I did or whatever. Um, yeah, letting people be okay with their own convictions about nutrition. <laughs> I think it's great, but I also think I've got a part to own in it. I mean, this was 10 plus years ago and in, in those 10 years, I mean, my thinking, my habits, everything has changed dramatically. So there was a part of that, again, that was in my no own naivety and misunderstanding about nutrition. Cause I was an intern. Like I hadn't learned a lot about what I, I had, I have. Since then, um, I was I was beyond rigid for no reason, and you know honestly, I think that that did that that that's, that changed over the years. But having kids changed it all. I mean, when when we had when we had Grant, I just I knew I got, I had to figure something out. Like I knew I couldn't continue that 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 rigidity while being a father and being a husband and, you know, living, 
And I'm grateful I did. I don't know if I told you this or not. I wrote a post about it because it sort of hit me in a way that I didn't expect. But was it two weeks ago I took him camping? Two weeks ago I took Grant camping. It was just he and I. It was kind of one of the last hurrahs for this year because hunting season basically runs from September through the first of the year and it's too cold to take him. And anyway, so he goes for one reason that's s'mores. <laughs> I mean, he, he goes to eat and he goes to, he loves sleeping in a tent. So, you know, he goes for those two things and I know that. So load up the truck, we go camping, we're cooking, we're eating s'mores. And like normally he'll make his s'more and he'll throw it down and stick out his hand ready to eat another one. Did I tell you this? Okay. So he's, I, I make, you know, I, I help him make the, the s'more, help him roast the marshmallow, help him put it on the graham cracker, do all of that. And I give it to him. He's, he's doing it. He has it in his hand. He's just holding it. He's not eating it. He's just, he's just holding it. And he's just kind of looking at me. And I was like, well, buddy, what are you doing? Why aren't you eating your, you know, eating your s'more? He's like, I want to wait and eat it with you. How, are you going to eat one? And I was like, yeah. So I was, I was in the process of making mine 10 years ago. I would have said, oh no, I'll just watch you. And he said that he said, and then he, he sort of paused and he's like, well, I want to eat with you. And it was really, um, I don't know, it just sort of caught me off guard because I'm so grateful for the whole process of understanding all of that. And so looping this full circle back into the original question, and I guess I violated my own rule here because I wasn't hungry. There are times memories are, are more important than macros, but I will say this. Tracking's not for everyone. Tracking does have value. Tracking taught me why I was okay to eat that s'more, but it's not for everyone. And even for the people who find value in it, it is not to be done forever. That level of intensity It's designed to teach you about nutrition, reach a specific goal, and then transfer, you know, transition out of it. If you have no specific goal, the three things that had the most profound effect on me, and that I would probably tell everyone to do is learn to cook, eat protein with each meal, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Anything you want to add? Marry somebody that likes to cook and knows how, you know, to worry about it. There you go. Marry somebody that likes to cook. All right. It's late here. We're going to jump off here. Thank you for joining us again. If you've got any questions that you want us to answer, you can send those to info at v2pnutrition.com. As always, thanks for checking out the podcast. Several of you have written and graciously asked how to support it. You've asked if we sell shirts. You've asked uh, a number of great things. And the answer to that is no, we don't really have any like donations or um shirts for sale. I guess we sell shirts usually once or twice a year and there's order forms to those, but not like a, a merch thing on our website or anything like that. But the best thing that you could do, and I appreciate the question. It's very kind that you would even feel like you need to do something. But if you, if you wanted to do anything, just um, maybe send an episode that you think a friend or a family member or something like that would be interested in, or, you know, telling other people about the podcast. Obviously we have no sponsors. I don't know that I have any interest in having a sponsor because uh, that lets me say whatever I want and be open and honest. Um, so the best thing that you could do if you feel like you wanted to support it is just to, to share it with someone. Don't feel like you have to, but it is extremely helpful to us ranking the podcast in your platform, leaving a comment, all of that stuff like you know, in the in the podcast world of behind the scenes podcast helps spread the word about that podcast. So thank you for asking. Appreciate that. We will uh, be back again in a couple of weeks with some more episodes. If you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover, send those over to info at v2pnutrition.com. We'd be glad to do that. We have a, um, we have 
a bunch that you guys have written in. I'm going to cover all of them, uh, but please don't let that stop you from sending more. I love them. And honestly, I just have interest in covering whatever you want to hear about. So this is way better than me trying to think about hmm, what would be interesting and then missing the mark. So please, if you've got questions, even if you think they're crazy, send them over. I never use a name unless you want me to use a name, um, but we would lo- love to cover those. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more episodes. Till then, have an excellent week, everybody. I'm taking a um, chip chip break. I, I, I need to dominate some chips real quick. You want to put these outtakes in something? Vibing nutrition, barbecued lace. Right before my bowl of oatmeal, peanut butter and berries.